and this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 177, where I'm going to be interviewing Jay Samet. Uh, and today I have two very special co-hosts, guest co-hosts with me, uh, Andrew James and Kayvon Kay. I, I know how to pronounce your name, Kayvon, but I, I, I'm like always timid to do it. So uh, say hello, guys. Good hey, morning. How's it going? Good morning. So, uh, first of all, um, you, you know, you've both been on the podcast before, but if you could give the, you know, twenty-second uh, intro. So, Andrew, why don't you just tell everybody who you are? Yeah, I own a company called Eyeball Division, and we're starting a podcast called Forty Seven Pixels. I'm a <laughs> I was going to, we're, we're in kind of like a funny mode this morning. Cause I don't know how funny you want this podcast to be. I was going to give like my demographic information. Yeah. So I, uh, I prefer blue over orange <laughs> to cave on. And, um, you know, I'm a Caucasian male who's about to turn 30, who's married with no kids. That's a little bit about me, but I live in Park City, Utah. I like mountain biking. My HRV is really low today because I kind of punished myself last night. <laughs> All right. Good. That's a cool intro. <laughs> That's a cool intro. There you go. Yeah, it is. Uh, a cool intro. I'm going to try. Like when the cypress come in the future, we should all just you know, it'll all be that way, right? It's just like your data will just transfer. So, awesome. <laughs> all right, Kayvon. Okay. Okay. My name is Kayvon. Last name is Khalil Zadeh, but uh, Kayvon K is just fine. I know people. A lot of people hurt themselves trying to pronounce my last name. <laughs> so let's let's not go there. I do prefer orange over blue, and uh, my logo and everything in my life. If I can have everything in orange, I would go for it. I just heard it's about somebody who had an orange car with orange leather seats, uh, and I can't wait to meet the guy to approach him to buy his car. But I don't think he's gonna sell <laughs> okay well so I, anybody, anybody listening you can just tweet at the less doing podcast and say hashtag team orange or hashtag team blue to show your support oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's see how many supporters we get uh-huh. uh, we can have a podcast about color orange. I can talk about it for 15 minutes, but that's for another podcast. I promise that's not happening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I coach entrepreneurs and uh, I help them more than anything else to uh, get out of their own way. Um, I do entrepreneurial coaching, accountability coaching, and uh, productivity coaching. And I enjoy working with entrepreneurs. I work on the with the person and on their you know mindset and behavior. Um, I like to work with uh, what I call hungry entrepreneurs or ambitious entrepreneurs, and uh, that's how I uh, fill my day. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. Does that mean you you prefer entrepreneurs that only have like two months of burn left? Came on. Well, sometimes that is, but um, <laughs> I really don't know how to answer that. <laughs> well, if they're hungry, I mean that that's the definition of hungry, right? Like, I only got yeah. enough for payroll for two more months in the bank. Therefore, like we're eating ramen again tonight, and uh-huh. like. <laughs> I, <laughs> 
Okay, let's go with ambitious entrepreneurs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's get into the links that I've got for you for today. I want to share with you guys. Um, so uh, the first one is a physical device. This is called the UO Beam, uobeam.com. Uh, and you guys are welcome to pull this up as we talk about this. Uh, it's a super tiny but high-definition projector, uh, and it uses a laser diode uh, so you're actually getting a really bright screen at uh, 720p HD. And this is, this might be like the smallest, it, like they have a picture of the projector resting on top of an iPhone. And it's about a third of the size of the iPhone. Really, really cool. So you can have a hundred inch screen with this thing. Wow. wow. You can connect it directly to your phone and project from that, right? Exactly. So, you know, nice. I'm always talking about being like a mobile warrior and all that stuff. And a lot of like, for instance, I'm going to Chicago tomorrow for the day and I'm, I'm certainly not taking a bag with me. I'm not taking a laptop or anything. Um, but for those trips that are a little bit longer, maybe, or where I wanted to have a projector or something, this is an awesome thing. I mean, it's amazing to me what the technology is getting to be like now, but this, this thing just blows my mind. Yes. It's almost... Yeah, I wonder how many... Yeah. yeah. How many lumens is it, Ari? Do you know? Because I had one like these, and uh, yeah, I wonder if that's bright enough to six, to work in like a light room. It's pretty bright. Huh. Yeah, I think so. that's really cool. Yeah, so, very cool. Uh, so that was impressive. Um, okay, so then the uh, the next one. This is interesting, actually. You know, Andrew, because you mentioned HRV, and I don't. I think a lot of people wouldn't necessarily make this connection, but I I did. Mm. Um, so uh, I'm not going to give you the URL actually because it's kind of a long one. But it's called Got Rhythm, and it's a game that uh, actually. You know, I can just while we're talking about this stuff, I can post this for you guys in our chat so you can see it. Um, so this is called Got Rhythm, and basically what it does is it shows these different beats on the screen like different circles and you're supposed to tap the keyboard uh the space bar i think in rhythm with it and then it fades out and you're supposed to keep going with that rhythm and see how well you can stay on rhythm so this is interesting to me because obviously this is just set up as a game but you know you were talking about hrv before this is pretty cool you know because it's not necessarily like you have to have musical talent to do this i think that uh, your ability to maintain rhythm is probably a pretty good indicator of how cognitively functional you are at the moment. Sure. Does that make sure. sense? So, because so this yeah, kind of works like the tap test? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So for, for people who don't know, the, the CNS tap test or central nervous system tap test is something where you're just tapping your finger as fast as you can uh, for a minute and counting how many it is. And it's a, it's a very good marker of the uh, health of your nervous system and recovery state. Uh, but to me, this that, this is immediately what I saw when I saw this. And, and I actually, uh, I did not do very well the first time I tried it. It was late at night uh, a few nights ago. And I was like, I was really early on a few and then really late. Like I only hit, I think it was like, 10% of them were, were right on beat after it finished. Now, obviously, if you are a musician, you probably will have a little bit of a, of a, of a leg up. However, I think as a, a relative marker of change, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah well, with all these things, is like a, with HRV, it's been kind of a, it's been interesting to me because like if you're a really good meditator, you can influence it. So there's half of the like measuring this stuff that's just seeing like, where are you? And part of 
that might be skill, but then over time you can use it to measure whether or not you're improving. This is almost like a more intuitive, like kinesthetic dual in back training kind of a test to me. You know what it sounds like? Yeah. Yeah. You could look at it that way. That's, that's a, actually a fair assessment. Um, what were you going to say about I was going to say the same thing that even if somebody is a musician, they are measuring themselves against themselves in different hours. So right. it's that variance that's important. Yeah. So I don't think that was their intention, but that's immediately what I saw this as. Um, okay. So the next one, this is, I, I always love when things come out of uh, IBM Watson, you know, so this is a tone analyzer. So it's using linguistic analysis to detect emotional tones, social propensities, and writing styles in written communication, right? So you can put in any kind of text and it will do an analysis and it will tell you the overall like emotional tone, if there was cheerfulness, if it was negative, uh, agreeable, conscientiousness. It, hmm. it, and it's all done. This sounds really interesting to me because I have gotten um, all sorts of feedback from my tone in, in, in writing and there are certain tone that I want to go after. So this would be a very useful tool to me. Well, so, you know, someone like, for instance, I think we should plug it into Slack. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is like, hey, hey, Ari is mad right, right now. You, are being, uh, <laughs> you guys are being very negative. Um, yeah. Well, it's like, what I find interesting about this is that I, for me personally, I find video playback of myself, whether it's me presenting uh, or me hitting a golf ball. I, I, I find that to be hugely effective and I can make very, very dramatic changes very quickly. Uh, but this is also an interesting way of looking at that in terms of how you communicate in the written word, which, you know, of course, doesn't typically have emotion uh, necessarily uh, inherent to it, right? So this is actually reading emotion into it. What I found particularly interesting here is if you use, if you look at the sample text that they have there and you analyze it, uh, it actually shows that there were nine analytical words used. And to me, they don't necessarily scream analytical. Like their words are product, acknowledge, uh, insights. And so basically they're saying that this, this is, I mean, it makes sense. This doesn't seem like a, it's supposed to be an analytical letter, but it was just interesting to me that it pulled out those particular words as analytical and just thought it was interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I got an open API. You could test all kinds of stuff with this. Even like, even for marketing and for copy and stuff, you could say like, "Hey, I'm gonna go pull in." In fact, like we might build this into Strebo. So we'll go like take a list of the people that have responded to our ads or like liked our page. Look at their profiles. Look at the last five things that they posted. Observe their tone, and then like figure out how to synthesize all that together and say, "Hey, your avatar, your prospect in this case." like typically they're in kind of like a, a melancholy tone. So you should write in this way to motivate them towards action, which might not just be perfectly matching it, but it'd be really interesting from a like data gathering neural network kind of uh, analysis of like lots of different people's written communication. I'm yeah. Right. right. Sure. Yeah. I like that. Not mm -hmm. only your customer, but also the future target market. Let's say if somebody wants to create a product in a certain market, there, mu there must be books about it. So review, uh, looking at all the reviews on Amazon and running them through this tone analyzer, you find out how your future target market, you know, feels the same way that Andrew just, you know, had an example for the clients. <laughs> That's a cool idea too. 
and cave on because you could like score it right so the five star reviews think of it this way and the one stars are this way you know yes. and the threes are be kind of interesting huh exactly yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so the next one is uh, just an interesting new service I, that you you probably may, both of you might have heard of this before. But have you heard of Jet.com? Yeah, there's a lot of hype about it. Didn't they raise like another forty million dollar round or something? That actually seems small for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What they're trying to do. Kayvon, have you heard of it? Uh, no, I don't know what that is. Okay, so Jet is looking to basically take on Amazon. Uh, essentially, what they are is a membership club. I think. I think it's I think it's like fifty bucks a year, which is obviously very cheap, and it's similar to like a Costco or a Sam's Club model. But basically, they guarantee the lowest price on anything you buy. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I've already seen, like in my building, I've seen some people getting boxes from Jet, and uh, it, it seems to me to be like a pretty big uphill climb in terms of you know trying to literally take on Amazon. Not that that's a bad thing, but yeah, they've gotten a huge amount of funding. There's been a, a lot of hype over it, and it's, I mean, it's what's worth looking at, I guess I would say, for people. I'm not personally using it yet because, you know, to me, there's like a, a, an elasticity, you know, for me, right, with, with optimization. A lot of people think I'm just obsessed with optimizing and that's all I do all day, which, which in some ways I do, but it's also, I'm not doing it just to do it, you know, so it actually, even if Amazon didn't have the absolute best prices every time there's something that's so convenient about it especially now like with the apple watch that i have you know where you can just push the button and speak uh what you need and 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 that's it so like it it would take a lot to derail me you know yes yeah the cost switching is is huge but maybe like a personal assistant you could have them look at both things you know my big question with jet is and i haven't used it yet either so i'm kind of not qualified to talk about it but um did they optimize for more than just price because like ten dollars more tomorrow is a lot more expensive than you know it's ten dollars off in three weeks right right exactly so i'm not sure so it'll be interesting to see how how this kind of goes uh, what I do find not comforting, but like yeah, almost uh, like social proof in some ways, is that ten years ago, if a company got you know twenty million dollars funding or just an enormous amount of funding, that almost didn't mean anything because VCs were throwing money at like everything. Nowadays, it seems like when when companies get enormous amounts of funding, they're actually legit. I don't know if that makes any sense or if that's just being oversimplified, but yeah. Well, I mean, the indicators are more realistic, right? So, like, they're they're going to get further. I mean, I guess what you're saying is, like, there's a lot of smart people, and if they think it's good enough to put that kind of money into it, then it's probably going to be. Um, either that or it's just binary. And it's like, because that's the thing about VC that a lot of people don't understand either. It's like, they've, I mean, these guys, the game is getting upped and upped and upped, and they're talking about how, like, less and less companies are going public because they don't need to because the funding environment and the acquisition ecosystem is so good. And so because of that, you have more and more venture capitalists that have raised bigger and bigger funds that have more and more chips that they've got to put on the table. And so sometimes it's it's binary, meaning, look, this is the worst investment in the world if we don't put enough money in it to make it possible. But if it works, it's going to be crazy good 
So we have to put like if we're gonna do it, we gotta go all in like big time. Otherwise, you can't. I mean, you can't make this play. I was getting pitched on a, a new company. I'll give them a plug. It's called Huckabye, which is really cool. You should interview the founder. I'll introduce him, Mari. And um, we were talking about Jet, and he was a SVP of marketing at Overstock.com because their headquarters are here in Utah. And um, it was interesting. He was like, they're probably going to make more money on data and they're going to just have to go negative for so long to get to viable. You know, like we just saw, like it was just fairly recently that Amazon was like, okay, we'll have a profitable quarter or two. I think that was in the news, like pretty recently, like they just had a profitable earnings report. So, I mean, they, they're, they have so much mass and so much velocity that they can just turn the knobs and decide to kind of be profitable. It's probably not quite that easy, but Bezos knows how to show Wall Street. So, I mean, it's an audacious goal and a big task. I would guess that it ends up becoming, um, like, I will say, like, I think subscribe and stave on Amazon, as wonderful as, as it is, could be better. So, I wonder if the angle of, like, get the best price on anything is going to win out ver- like versus, like, their top 10 or 15 or 100 categories, you know, and they end up just becoming the dominant player in these spaces, you know, because that's not being done by Amazon. Amazon's already the everything store. Well, so. I mean, and have you guys seen the new uh, Amazon? The, I forgot what they're calling them, but they're buttons that have a specific product attached to them. Have you seen this? No. Okay. No. So, okay. So this is a really interesting move on their part. So it's a. It started off as an April Fool's joke, but they turned it into a real thing. Huh. So it's literally it's it's a real physical button. Okay, that's like the size of a pack of gum. And it, it, you'll have one that's for Tide, and one for Crest, and one for Dawn. And basically, you push that button, and it places an order for that product. So you know, you obviously you're supposed to stick the Tide one on your washing machine. You know, and literally, you that's push the awesome. Button. It's awesome, except what it does is it makes it so that you never look at prices again. Right. I need Tide. Give me Tide. Exactly. So it's really interesting move on that part, like on their part, uh, because, you know, I think it'll really sort of show how people sort of in their minds balance convenience over price. Yeah, well, that's yeah. that's. I wonder, true. You know, I wonder what the point. delay is to when you push the button in the order. Like, can you go in and like switch it? Sorry, give on to it. No, it's okay. Well, so many people after, you know, getting into a habit of purchasing from a provider, they changing becomes their, the hardest thing for them. And not to change is their main criteria as opposed to finding the best price. I know, for example, for um, dry cleaning industry, if after the third visit, they are hooked and they don't want to change their you know, route to work or price or anything. So it can work the same way. And speaking of Amazon, have you guys heard of Amazon Launchpad? Uh, no. Very little. It's like for if you want to start selling your own physical products. I think it's um, more geared towards uh, startups and new products that they're coming. So I, if I was thinking immediately about Kickstarter and how we can shop uh, for, for new products by entrepreneurs and new inventions. Uh-huh. So I think this is going towards that kind of a, um, approach. So it's called Amazon Launchpad. I just got an email about it this morning, but uh, I was wondering if you guys heard about it. I had heard of it. There's not really nothing else. So that's yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so moving on now, the, the next one, this is a really simple one, but it's called xcut.me, and it 
it's uh, this is was very relevant to me the other day. But basically, I did my first, not my first. Sorry, I did uh, Urban Mudder a couple weeks ago with some friends, which was like Tough Mudder, but there was no mud. It was all obstacles essentially. And uh, I had a GoPro for the first time, so I bought a GoPro and I had it strapped to my chest, and I got about two hours of footage, most of which was extremely boring. You know, like running down a street or waiting for people. Uh, so there's service XCut. You upload your footage to them and they will edit it for free. Really? Yes. So there's, there's How do they make money? So okay, so there's several things that are interesting about this. First of all, they edit it for free and for that they are allowed to use that clip for something. So either they can they can make something that's so awesome that it becomes viral mm. and they run ads on it, or they can use it for a portfolio or whatever they want. Um, if you don't want them to do that, then you can pay for it and it's between fifteen and fifty dollars. So you have your choice of making wow. it private if you want. However, you know, like for me, for my footage of remote, I don't care if people end up seeing that. Uh, but what I loved about it that's even more impressive almost than anything is all it, so you, you sign up and it creates a, a folder in Dropbox and then all you do is you create a new folder in that folder for your project. You name it, whatever you want, and you just upload the videos to that. You can upload photos. You can even upload a document with like notes on what you want people to focus on or if you want something in slow motion. That's it. And then they take over from there. You don't even have, you don't have to order anything. You don't have to tell them. You just upload the files to the folder in Dropbox. That's it. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, you know, GoPro just launched a, um, for like athletes and like their power user, like a stock video network. So they're like, GoPro is like going to be the ambassador to brands. So I wonder if these guys are, you know, leveraging some of that. It would make a lot of sense. I, I think but so. regardless, like it, it's cool. I mean, I kind of stopped using my GoPro and I was a professional photographer for a long time just because it was just too much like a hassle. It's too easy to leave it on for a long time to get like a little bit of stuff. And then it just makes you feel like kind of, you know, not that cool. It's like, I'm just not like cool enough anymore for this to be worth the time, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but there's yes. probably like five seconds in there, which is kind of about internet, like attention span anyway, that's, that does, does look cool if someone felt like going through it. Yeah. So, yeah. So. But I don't think we can use this for, let's say, um, personal uh, talking head videos. It's just only action and GoPro videos, right? Well, you know, it's it's going to be ones where you're no, right? Exactly. This is really going to be things where there's a lot of uh, extra footage that you don't need. You know, it's it's like where you want to focus on the the two percent of the video that was actually interesting. Okay, but you take uh, like the, the last you know live event. And you could have, like at the Less Doing Live event, you could have totally just had a couple people walking around with GoPros or you had the guys just filming the crowd and they could have, and this service could have just snagged a bunch of clips of different people. You could have said something like, you know, make sure there's no more than, you know, I want a two minute reel and I don't want more than, um, you know, two shots of the same person, something like that. Yeah. And they probably could have pulled it off. We can do that for the retreat. Oh no, we are absolutely going to do this for the retreat, for our upcoming retreat and. Uh, at Fort Bragg, we are absolutely gonna gonna be GoProing it. Don't you worry. By the way, Ari, my uh, Hopper has told me that now the price. I got an alert today that now the price for my ticket is down to like three eighty. So I don't know how I feel about Hopper because it's told me that like at a thousand dollars was my best deal, <laughs> like five hundred dollars was going to be my best deal, and now it's like way lower. So that's kind of interesting. But I should probably book a 
like pretty soon. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard mixed reviews of Hopper. I think overall, it's it seems to be good. But I, I, yes, I have heard that. But of course, you know, it is it is predictive, so you can't you can't be sure anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a helpful tool, right? But I wouldn't trust everything. to. The, the problem with all these uh, travel tools is nobody's got full integration of everything. I mean, that thing you sent me this morning for hotels, pretty cool. But on flights, like, like Hipmunk is great, but they just have ads for, like, Southwest and JetBlue. So to, to be a truly comparative tool, you need, like, you need to see all the options, you know? And otherwise, what's the point? Like, I might as well just open the three sites. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, okay, so. So the, the last link, oh, and I'm sorry, I actually totally forgot one thing I was supposed to mention. Uh, I, two episodes ago, we had, I'm sorry, three episodes ago now, we had uh, Adan Harari of Kinetic Massage, and he we, we uh, he forgot to mention CrossFit Solace. So, sorry, this is not a discussion point, guys. It's just that uh, uh-huh, CrossFit okay. Solace is where he his practice is located, and he forgot to give them a shout-out. And I've been there personally, and it's a, an, a huge and really beautiful CrossFit box in New York City. So we'll have a, a link to them in the show notes, everybody. So sorry for that little interlude. But the, the last link I want to share with you guys, this is a this is a, a bizarre, interesting, and creepy one. Um, so I, I guess this is called the, the Misha, uh, I think. And this is essentially a, a, a electrical simulation device. So this is nothing new. And you strap it on your head, and it will help with uh, creativity, insomnia, depression, anxiety, all the things that transdermal cranial stimulation can possibly help with. The reason I point this out is because this is one of the creepiest websites I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I agree <laughs> with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> however, I feel like I should give them out for eyeball division based on these headbands. I They've got like say, these cycloptic, like <laughs> cycloptic. Yeah. So now you know it's already I feel like kind of nerve wracking if you're just getting started with cranial stimulation and you're going to be putting electricals electrodes on your head, but then to make it look like it's like this punk rock, uh, like heavy metal. It's, it's like a BDMS or BDS. SM site times Fifty Shades of Grey times a trailer park and like Breaking Bad. That's like that's what this feels like to me. Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. So if Misha people, if you're listening to this, um, I guess good job on, uh, on on the marketing, perhaps. But um, this I, this one just wow. So please, well, it's certainly got our attention. Exactly. So that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like you know, it's not not too bad. So anyway, yeah. um, <laughs> that is all I have. I have a question, Ari. Yeah. Um, about uh, that video editing, do you know of a service that can do the same thing with webinars and talking heads and that sort of thing that they just, you know, do the cutting in a affordable or free kind of a price? Yes. Um, so we actually, it's a service I've recommended, I think, uh, several episodes ago. I, I can't remember what it was, but it's called mm-hmm. videopixie.com. Okay, so great. The, their video pixie, P-I-X-I-E. Uh, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You can actually, you can get editors, animators, videographers, and uh, it's all pretty straightforward. They produce really good results. So it's kind of like uh, uh, not Fiverr. It's, well, no, it's a, it's an outsourcing platform, but specifically for this kind of work. So mm-hmm. anyway, thank hey, Ari, I have one link if okay. you want to. If you want to get one, yeah. So this is uh, Google just acquired this. But if anybody's thinking of wanting to like prototype an app or something like that, Pix8 is really cool. P i x a t e dot com. Um, it's just really really cool. It pairs directly with your computer so it's like a 
a design portal where you can, with no code at all, you can basically make an app do everything that you would want it to do. You can prototype it, but it's linked in real time to your, to your phone or your iPad. Like it either uses the network or Bluetooth and you can share designs and pull designs from other apps uh, from the cloud. But it's really cool. I just started playing with it and um, Google oh, just bought great. it. So it's, yeah, it's great. It's kind of on the order of something like Lucidchart, but for mm-hmm. prototyping, which, you know, the deeper I get into development and even like learning to write some of the code, the more and more uh, it saves time, effort, and energy if you can really clearly like spec things out. So like the lower you make that bar or the easier it is for anybody to make anything. Cause you could, you could have a full like working mock-up that does like almost everything you want to do. And I mean, something like this could reduce the cost of actually building an app, you know, 50, nice. 75%. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Is it Android only? No, it's cross-platform. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they have, so there's a a desktop computer app, right, for doing the actual design work, and it works on either Windows or PC, and then um, there's a mobile app that you you download, and so once you have both of those things working, you know, you can have your phone in front of you, you make a change to your computer, it's instantly there on the actual mobile device, and and it's interactive on the mobile device. So, it's really cool something like Envision, you know, you have to kind of design it all and then you have to say like, this is a hot spot and it does this when you click on it and it's all right, but it's not, it's not quite the same. So it's pretty cool. I've been playing with it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, all right. Well guys, we're going to wrap up here. Thank you very much for co-hosting and everyone. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode. Yeah. Thank you. This was fun. Thanks. Thanks. Sorry. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again. What would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Jay Samet, who is a serial entrepreneur and has been involved in several companies, uh, one of which I I use on a very, very regular basis. And uh, Jay, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about disruption, of course, but how, how how did you get started? What was your first company that you were involved in on an entrepreneurial way? 
so when I got out of college, there was a recession going on and no one was hiring. And here I thought I'd done society's contract, which is get good grades, do everything. And, you know, the world's supposed to be ready for you. And there was nothing. So I mailed away and got business cards printed for one dollar <laughs> and made up a company and went around and realized nobody would ever visit the company. So could I, you know, uh, generate business that way? And when you suddenly do a million dollars, you never go back to wanting a job again. And I didn't get my first job till later and I had sold companies and was brought in by, by Universal Studios and then later Sony and EMI to build whole new divisions. So I was an entrepreneur. So, well, and that's a term that some people may not really be familiar with actually and what that really means. So what, what do you mean by an entrepreneur? An entrepreneur is somebody that is hired by a company to actually start a new division or a new product or a new company with the same way that you would be an entrepreneur from scratch. So in the case of Universal, they were a media company uh, that made movies and television shows and everything, but had never been on the internet. In the case of Sony, they made a bunch of hardware devices that never talked to each other and they didn't have a version of iTunes. Uh, the advantages is you have all the capital of a big company. The disadvantage is you really are the ugly stepchild. Um, you don't own any of the assets within your company and yet you can't work with the assets of competitors. So unless you can figure out how to build bridges and take on the establishment, you will fail. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of adjectives that you can sort of place on entrepreneurs in terms of what they do, or verbs too, I guess, in terms of like the kind of actions that they take and stuff, but disrupt is an important one, right? So, I mean, is that really sort of a, the essence of entrepreneurship to you, is being able to disrupt something? So, there's different levels. So, I wrote disrupt you about people that want to do the big changes. I mean, you can open a, a, a restaurant and it's the same as every other restaurant and that's being an entrepreneur and that's great. Disruption is breaking down what is a restaurant, why do 90% of restaurants fail uh -huh. and how do you change it? So give, give you an example that's in, in Disrupt You. A guy decides he wants to do a restaurant. Why do restaurants fail? One, too many menu items so if you don't order all the food that's waste and there goes your profit. So he's only going to have three things on his menu. Number two is you're paying for your real estate. So if two people sit down at a table for four at a busy lunch, you're not able to monetize those other two chairs. You're paying too much rent. So he's only going to seat full tables. And if you're waiting for a full table and you're going to sit with strangers, it has to be a different type of restaurant and you're going to wait at the bar, which drives up your average tab. Make a long story short, he then decides to create Benihana's, where you sit around and it becomes a fun experience to sit with strangers and there's only three choices on the menu and he opened them all over the world because he disrupted what a, a restaurant was. Right, sense? Yeah, that's actually, I, I didn't know that story about Benihana. That's a, that's a really, that's a cool example. So it's easy to look at Waze or Facebook or technology, but in Disrupt You, I'm talking about any type of business or any type of social institution. You know, the first third is Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody thinks of changing themselves. Yeah. So first you have to disrupt your assumptions about you. What are you good at, what you're bad at, what society told you you can't do, what your teachers told you. It's all BS. You are limitless, and I'm not one of these hug, touchy-feely, you know, this is, this is practical science that you can rewire your brain to think differently. It'll show up on MRIs, you can actually 
learn how to think like a disruptor, and then take what you've learned and look at all parts of business, whether you're a designer, whether you're making clothes, whether you're making an app, and how to find where the value is and capture that value. And then the last third is if you've solved all your wants and needs, there's a lot of problems in life. And the only people that solve problems are entrepreneurs. So for the big issues of global warming and water and climate change and, and, and education, apply the same four-step process to big issues and change the world. Yeah, it's funny, actually. I, I mean, I haven't done this personally, but I was listening to somebody give a talk about books and how the, you know, the publishing industry is one of those industries that's typically given an example as one that's sort of broken. And uh, oh, yes. the, the guy was saying that the average, the average nonfiction book has 12 pages of actual actionable content. So I was like, why don't, what, what would happen if you just wrote a 12 page book? Well, it, it's funny. I, I, having my book come out, Disrupt You, I could tell you what's wrong with the publishing industry and, and ways that it should be fixed. But we had that same thing 15 years ago with music. So everybody was stealing on Napster. Nobody, you know, would, could, would buy a download and the music industry looked dumb. And I couldn't get a person to buy a whole song for a dollar, but I could sell them 10 seconds of a song for $2. We were the first people to launch ringtones. Yeah. It was one click on your phone and you had a cool ringtone. And the first year, ringtone, 1.6 billion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. Man. It's, so, I mean, it's so funny to me, too, because I, I never could understand how somebody would pay for a ringtone. And yet, I mean, it's it's obviously huge. Like, it's that's just something, it's unbelievable to me. Well, to me, I'll tell you what came out of that experience is I have a different ringtone for everybody that's important in my life or business. So when the phone rings before I even look at it, I know who it is and it puts me in the mood for dealing with that person. Yeah, and that's a good point, too, that it sort of triggers you to, to know what you're getting into. Um, I, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point, actually. I haven't thought about it that way. I, I'm curious, what was the disruption factor with Uvu? Because I, I use Uvu a lot, and honestly, it's like it's the only, for people who don't know, Uvu is, a, is a, a free platform for doing video conferencing with multiple people, and it's HD quality, and you record it. It's amazing, and I use it actually for coaching calls, and it's the only thing like it. I mean, everything else sucks in comparison. Well, thank you. So, so let me let me first set the stage. So, Skype is owned by Microsoft. Uh, FaceTime is Apple, and Hangouts is Google. So, the three richest tech companies in the world. I'm going to take on with an app that had twenty thousand users. Eighteen months later, we have a hundred million users. Okay. So you can disrupt and go after the biggest giants and you can even disrupt tech companies. And what we did that was different wasn't so much that the product is different and better, which it is, but how do you go about going after your market? So we looked at what was underserved and Skype was used for business. Let's have the conference call with France at 2 a.m. You know, um, And no one was addressing the fact that millennials and young people weren't making phone calls anymore. Text had replaced that. So the only reason to have a video call was to be a multi-party call and to bring a new form of communication. And so we went after the youth market. And by tackling that and coming up with ways to make video chat fun, we basically took over the world number one app with, with teams at the time I was running the company. It's really funny to hear that because I, I exclusively use it for business purposes. Ah, but you discovered it because it had grown from the other 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, so, I'm, I'm saying. I'm so just, we backdoored into business rather than go straight up against, how are we gonna go up against the mighty Skype? Well, I mean, the reason I use it for businesses, it's just, it's like, this seems like a basic thing, but it's the only one that I've ever used that's actually reliable. I mean, GoToMeeting is terrible in terms of reliability. Skype, we're on Skype right now. We're already, we, you know, this is this is the second part of the recording already because there's always problems with Skype. Uh, FaceTime, I have to say, is pretty good, but it's very limited. You can't do multiple people. You can't record it inherently. Like, so, I mean, it, it, the reliability alone is enough reason to use something like Uvu. So I, it's that's why I use it. Yeah, but that's what I like doing. So that was taking on telecommunications. I've taken on the auto industry. I've taken on travel. I've taken on e-commerce, you know, entertainment, fast food. Each time disrupting what the assumptions were to unlock new value and create new businesses. Right, and so now I know you have this four-step process, but so let's talk about that a little. How do you, how do you systematize disruption? Uh, by breaking down the value chain of a business and figuring out where do you capture the most value. So. You know, we talked about the restaurant example. You talked about almost anything. In the case of Ubu that we're talking about, it was to find an underserved audience that would embrace the technology in the cheapest way to market. Uh, but it starts with believing that you can and not being afraid to fail. The biggest mistake people have is not even trying. Right, of course. Um, well, so what do you see as some, some opportunity? Well, if you can share, what do you see as some opportunities that are like ripe for disruption? Oh, right now, uh, the world is, is brimming with it. I, I consider us this, this era as the era of endless innovation. So 3D printing, which isn't just plastic, it's metal, it's meat, it's pharmaceuticals, it's, it's, it's all kinds of structures. Uh, there's 3D printing for, for building buildings. Um, that is completely changing. Autonomous vehicles uh, will change who can drive, what is driving, uh, letting senior citizens explore, changing travel, uh, the internet of things, adding another 9, 10, 20 billion things onto this internet to give us more data and big data to communicate. There are endless opportunities and whereas those sound like technology, it's not about being in the tech business, it's about applying those to our lives. A lot of people say, well, I'm not into tech. And I'm like, what's the first thing you grab and look at in the morning, the last thing you put down at night? You're walking around with a device that connects you to six billion consumers. You only have to be right for one nanosecond to be a billionaire. <laughs> that's cool. That's a, that's a cool way to put it. And, and it works anywhere. So there's advantages being in the third world where you can have cheap labor for, for programming and web building. We're all tying into the same cloud. Uh, there are people that will manufacture stuff for you. There are, and I talked a whole chapter of Disrupt You, universities and research centers that have tons of patents that they'll let you use for free to monetize. NASA even has a website to give away their IP. Uh, so it's not like you have to invent everything. And some of the coolest things out there were just an entrepreneur looking at an invention that nobody figured out what to do with. So, I mean, do you feel like, because I, I feel like I'm this type of person, do you feel like you're the kind of person who just looks at the, like life and the world as you experience it through a totally different lens, you know, and so whenever you're you're eating something or you're, transport, you're in transportation or you see a, you just see a different way that that could be approached? So, I don't think I was waiting for was born with that. It turned out to be my damage. I'm dyslexic. So I actually problem solved in a nonlinear fashion. You can take an MRI of a dyslexic brain and actually see that it works differently. 
And lo and behold, a third of British entrepreneurs, according to study, are dyslexic. You know, uh, Richard Branson, dyslexic, Walt <laughs> yeah. Disney, dyslexic, all these great entrepreneurs. I mean, to think, I talk about it and disrupt you. Great, I have this competitive advantage, but guess what? So can anyone else. You can actually rewire the physiology of your brain by how you choose to use it. And they've done twin studies, and we talk about this research, and the bottom line is, you are not hardwired to be bad at math. You're not hardwired that you can't do X, Y, and Z. You've been told this so many times, you start to believe it. So the first part of disruption is really the self-disruption, which I say is akin to doing plastic surgery, except you're the one holding the scalpel. And really cutting out those things that you believe is true that aren't, and suddenly discovering what you can do. So, well, and that, that's, a, that's a good segue to the last question that I always like to ask on these interviews, and that is, uh, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? One, you can't go this road alone. So, one of the things I talk about in the book is how to find the right mentors that'll make your path much easier. And it could be from the most famous people in the world to just people in your field, very easy to do. Uh, the second is, to really focus on where value is captured, not just in creating it. Now, the third is to get over your fear of failure. And that's the one big thing that separates those that are achieving things from everybody else. If you go and try to do something and it doesn't work, that isn't failure, that's failing. You, in failing, you learn what not to do next time. Failure is throwing in the towel and giving up. The more that you can move forward and learn from your failures, you will find people are more willing to invest in somebody who's had something that failed. Uh, Henry Ford didn't launch Ford Motor Company until he had done multiple bankruptcies and launched in his 50s. Bill Gates and Paul Allen's first company went belly up. Their second company was Microsoft. So it's really about getting over that and that is the number one thing that stops people. And if you talk to people in their 70s, 80s, 90s, their biggest regrets in life are not their failures, but the things that they failed to attempt. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard the statistic. I forgot where it was from, but it was like uh, with serial entrepreneurs who are really successful now, I think, you know, they were talking about like people who had billion dollar exits and whatnot, that the average number of quote unquote failures before that or failed companies was 11. Well, I, I always say I've failed more than most people we ever meet. I mean, yes, I've launched many billion dollar companies and, and things that are used by hundreds of millions of people, but I could give you the list of all my favorite things that never got off the ground. I just keep on going at bat more than any sane person will. And it's because I, I love that we live in this opportunity uh, era that anyone, anywhere can create, can tap into a cloud. It is so cheap to launch a business nowadays and you are, are just a click away from so many consumers that success is just a matter of persistence. If you have the drive and determination, you can hire every other piece of the equation. Well, so I know I said that was my last question, but I actually do, I have another one now I need to ask you, because to me, this is a disruptor, and I think it's a really interesting place that we're going, but I'm sure you've noticed this trend of new businesses that are all SMS-based. Yeah. So what, what do you think about that? Because, I, I, I mean, I, I love it, first of all, personally, because I, I think it's just a very lean way to operate on your phone, and it's very, you know, it can obviously reach a lot more people, but 
there's the other side of it too that you could end up crowding out the SMS space then. But uh, I mean, it's the easiest business to start. You need basically a free Google Voice number and then some labor on the other side. So, what do you? What, I mean, how do you feel about that? So. I'm less about what the tool is because you could say there were a lot of businesses that have brick and mortar. There were a lot of businesses that did a website. There's a lot of businesses that are, you know, you know, mail order, whatever. So that's less important than what is the segment that you are innovating and disrupting? I mean, the sharing economy, the Uber of this, the Uber of that, the idea of, of all the new ways that you can solve. So the fact that it's SMS, that's just one methodology of communicating. Um, you know, Uber's pretty amazing when you look at the fact that the people working there will never meet, talk to a supervisor. They're actually working for a piece of software. Um, that's the big disruptive change. You think so? Okay. But uh, do you use any of those services? I'm curious. I use and play with almost everything that comes out. Because yeah. One of the things that I learned and I'll give this tip to everybody listening, is most of the technologies that are invented weren't invented by somebody that has a business case for them, they just invent them. And if you can look at it and say, wow, I can apply this to something else, I'll be successful. And I'll end with one quick story um, to show how old this idea is. So 2,000 years ago, the Greeks figured out that you could put a bunch of olives in a press, squeeze it, and get olive oil, okay? It, yeah. took, it, it took about, 1500 years for somebody to say, you know what, I could take one of those Greek presses and put grapes in it, and now I can make wines a lot cheaper. And so in the 1400s, wine making in Germany took off like crazy. Everybody could make a Riesling. They made more wine in Germany when our population was nothing than is made today. And what happened is too much supply, not enough demand, not enough drunk Germans, Everybody went, went belly up in the winemaking business. So there were a whole bunch of used wine presses sitting around in 1450 when a guy named Johannes Gutenberg said, it's gotta be a better way than having scribes who handwrite books. Why don't I buy this used wine press and put some movable type in it? Okay, movable type had been around. It was the used wine press. So people forget that part of the story. They think from whole cloth, he had this like dark brown, back to the future idea, I'm going to build a press. No, he saw a piece of technology that no one had figured out a use for, and he applied it to a different problem. Today, you can do that all over. And Uvu was meant as a business uh, conferencing tool for conference rooms. I pivoted and said, why not make this a personal communication tool for people on smartphones? You can do that with almost anything and that's where the billion dollars come in. Your audience is so massive today. It just takes one small pivot and you can take something that was a zero and turn it into a hero overnight. Yeah, I love that. That's a great example. So, so Jay, where, um, obviously we're gonna have links to everything in the show notes, but where can people find out more about you and get the book, of course, everything? Sure, so um, my website is my name, J-A-Y-S-A-M-I-T. So jsamet.com, you can follow me on Twitter at jsamet. I preach motivation to entrepreneurs all day long. The book's available anywhere online. There's the audio version. If you've never bought an audio book from Amazon, by the way, you can get Disrupt You for free. I narrated the whole thing, 300 pages. Uh, and I guarantee you that it will help you in your journey to be successful. Awesome. Well, Jay, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Sorry about the technical difficulties, but uh, we got all the good stuff. So, Terrific. Thanks, Ari, and continued success. 
Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.